0: Today, we have for you one of our most requested topics, detective fiction. Why is murder light reading? What is the moral universe of detective fiction, and how does it help us understand the human condition? Why a country English village? We cover so much setting. Where is truth, goodness, and beauty to be found? and we start with the history of the genre. Let's go. Hi, I'm Trisha.
1: I'm Amanda. I'm Elizabeth. And welcome to Book Fair Podcast.
0: Do you love books or do you want to? Are you tired of picking up the latest new release and finding it's filled with junk you don't want in your life?
1: Has motherhood somehow made your brain a dusty shamble? Friend,
2: you are in the right place. We are three friends and mamas on a mission to create a fun, bookish community, pursuing a deeper life through the reading life.
0: We are your trusted source for books of all flavors. Always grounded in truth, goodness, and beauty.
2: So if you're ready for scrumptious literary
0: fare among friends, grab your cup of coffee, your load of laundry, or the steering wheel, and pull up a seat at the table.
1: Okay, we have got a five-star review, guys. Y'all want to hear Woo-hoo! one? Yes. Please. Okay. Trisha, Amanda, and Elizabeth each add their own special touch to the Book Fair podcast. It's so much fun to hear their very different personalities shine through while they share about their love of wholesome, thought-provoking books. Every podcast leaves me with something to laugh about, Something Thoughtful to Chew On, and at least one new book to add to my TBR list. Keep up the great work, ladies, and thanks for letting me join you at your table. Should she just come work for us? Yes! Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We should just put that in our description. Thank you so much!
1: (laughs) That was such a kind, kind thoughtful review. And I am just hopeful that someone reads that and says, hey, that's a community I want to be a part of. Let me give this a try.
2: Thank you, Ashley. Amazing. So today we are diving into one of the squares on our book fair challenge. Um, If you did not see that at the beginning of January... Our first episode of 2024 was about the challenge we're doing. We have nine squares in our challenge. You don't even have to read a book a month to complete our challenge. And a couple of them are short, like a couple of short stories, three essays. So we like our challenge to be very manageable, very fun, and something to stretch you a little bit. So our topic for today is the square detective fiction. And Amanda loves this genre. She is the most, mm, the biggest lover of this genre, I will say, of the three of us. Um, and so my first question for you, Amanda, if you don't mind starting here is, yeah. is detective fiction the same as mystery?
0: Oh, great question. Yes. And I love, if I, this might be my favorite genre. Um, wow. I don't know. It's hard, but I don't know. <laughs> it might be. Um, what was your question again? <laughs> Well, we don't,
2: you know, if you go to the library or a bookstore, there's no section for detective fiction. But uh, there's a yeah. huge section for mystery. Is it the yeah. same thing?
0: Yeah, I think probably detective fiction might be a subset of mystery. It might be a type of mystery. Hmm. That makes sense. Hmm. Um, I think detective, fish, def- detective fiction is a little more specific than broadly mystery.
2: Is it because there has to be a detective
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> our work here is done. There we go. That's that was the a great episode,
2: girls. <laughs> Good job. Go find a book with a detective. There you have it.
0: Um, different genres can have a mystery in them, but any any book with a detective is is going to have some specific parameters. And I'd like to roll that out via. The history of the genre in just a minute. But there are other subsets. There's hard-boiled detective fiction. There's cozy mysteries. There's a lot of historical romance, cozy detective fiction out there, too. Wow. <laughs> that, say that again. There's a lot of what?
1: <laughs> well, uh, the reason there's a lot is because it's everything.
0: <laughs> That's what I just heard. Right? Well, <laughs> Books. <laughs> it's historical fiction that's de- there's a mystery, it's detective fiction, and there's romance. So, like maybe there's a woman in 1830 and sh- there's a murder and she wants to figure it out and she might pair with a Bow Street runner or something, even though I don't think there were Bow Street runners yet. But anyway, <laughs> that's the idea. <laughs> That's awesome. There's a lot of that, and they tend to be cozy mysteries, whatever that means, right? Still, <laughs> whatever, what's I'm
1: still cozy? trying to decipher. <laughs> I'm on the trail. Uh,
0: <laughs> so we're starting out clear as mud here. I think, <laughs> I think a cozy mystery. Well, let me look it up. I Does never, that mean not too I scary. Never that up. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think probably it, what it would mean. I think
2: it means light. I think it's the way we would define yeah. a light book or a bubble bath book. Like something that's not too intense. Not, a you know, murder,
1: but not a descriptive murder. Right. It's not, not a lot of anticipation.
2: Well, you know, things like the Quilting Circle Miss Murder Mystery Club. Like that. What? <laughs> Have you guys seen those? <laughs> no,
0: I haven't.
2: <laughs> well, I've never read one, but I laugh every time I see oh, it. I'm, I'm probably going to read
1: that.
0: Yeah. I mean,. <laughs> I bet people in our audience are interested in that. I mean, the sound of that, it, it sounds lovely, especially if you like quilting. Oh, that's exactly right. Yeah.
2: Combining handicraft with murder.
0: What's this is better? Amanda's gig. What's better? Look, you could probably do a lot of damage with a knitting needle. <laughs> oh, so I think you're right, Trisha. We'll go with that for now and we'll see what unfolds as we go. But there's... You know, with detectives and or mysteries, there's a lot of crossover with other genres too. There's spy, there's thriller, there's gothic, suspense. You know, they can there's a lot of overlap here.
2: But basically, if it has a detective, it's detective fiction.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it.
2: And it can be either an official or unofficial detective.
0: Right. Like Sherlock Holmes is not a an employed detective. You know, that's but he calls himself
2: a detective. Yeah. I just started Sherlock Holmes reading the complete works. Brett and I found an audiobook we could read together before bed, and that has begun. I mentioned it. I love that. In the first episode. So anyway, he calls himself a consulting detective. But I'm just talking about, Amanda, like what you were just saying about the woman in the 1800s that there's a murder and she decides she's going to try to solve it. So she's a she's put herself in the place of detective, but she's an unofficial detective. And there are a lot of those.
1: Mm-hmm. Just the nosy neighbor that's onto something.
2: Right, like Miss Marple. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Now that you're saying this, there is this trend for women especially cuz we can figure stuff out. Yeah, give me
2: a mystery, I'll figure it out.
0: I mean, there's the true crime craze. There's mm-hmm. Hallmark has its own channel for mysteries, you know, and all of these historical fiction cozy mysteries. So well, this is a thing. This is interesting. So, do y'all know when this genre began? There might be some, you know, depends on who you ask kind of thing to this. Well,
2: I don't know why I remember this, but in our very first episode of Book Fair, episode one, when I talked about Bleak House, (laughs) I said, Mr. Bucket is the first detective featured in a novel that goes about solving a murder mystery. Okay. And I think there's some debate about exactly what the first and blah, 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 but... I I heard that referenced again recently, that he was either the first or one of the first literary detectives. So another reference to one of my favorite novels of all time.
0: Yes. In 1853, Dickens' Bleak House, there is one that is earlier that I've come across, which is 1841's The Murders in the Rue Morgue by Edgar Allan Poe.
2: Ah, be creepy. Is there a detective in that one, though?
0: I believe so. I haven't read it myself. I assume so. It's a locked room mystery. Oh, okay. And then the second is is Bleak House. Dickens! Okay. <laughs> now, something important happens between the publishing of these two early examples of detective fiction. And it is in 1842, the Metropolitan London Police Force is formed.
1: Hmm. Huh, <laughs> so everybody's like, these new uh, police uh, things... Wonder what they do. Yeah, and they're just thinking about it.
0: Yeah, it shifts from the Lord of the Manor or the local magistrate detecting and solving things to a more recognizable to us today institution. Yeah,
1: fascinating. That is interesting
0: and um, the the spine for my research, oh my goodness, I wanted to read so much more about this. I just didn't have time. Chesterton has two essays on detective fiction. I didn't get to them. Oh, I've got to do it, but Petey James wrote Talking About Detective Fiction. Now, she is a modern author of detective fiction herself, and she loved researching about it. She wrote a book, so I read this book, and it was so, and I loved, uh, I took so many notes, but she talks about how without a police force, there is no genre of detective fiction. And that, that makes sense. So after this, we've got Wilkie Collins and The Moonstone in 1868. Yes! <laughs> so good. Yes, it's, it's a great... I mean, I haven't read it myself, but she talks about how great an example it is of the genre, even though it was early on.
2: Well... I will just throw in here, if you want to try Wilkie Collins, start with The Woman in White. The Moonstone, because the genre has evolved so much, The Moonstone is a little bit, it's long and drawn out. And so everything was new then. So all of the tropes and all of the things were brand new. So it was a huge groundbreaking thing. And it's fun to read from like a historical perspective, or if you really love anything Victorian like me. But The Woman in White holds up, in my opinion, much better. So... If you want to try early Wilkie Collins, go for The Woman in White.
0: That's great to know. I think the BBC has done a miniseries for both of them. Yep. I really want to watch them, but I've got to read the books first. <laughs> <laughs> so next we have the detective himself, Sherlock Holmes, 1887, his debut in A Study in Scarlet by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And of course, he is still considered, if you had to name one detective, that's pro- he's probably going to come to mind first. One. So then the next big one is my boy, G.K. Chesterton, with The Innocence of Father Brown, 1911. So two years later, Chesterton's good friend, E.C. Bentley, came out with Trent's Last Case. Now, this is considered to be a game changer in the genre. And this is funny because he meant it to be satire. (laughs) But everybody's like, this is... This is the prime example. This is awesome. And
1: this is what we want.
0: <laughs> it was a little different because the detective didn't actually solve the mystery. And there was romance, which was a big part of this one. Normally, hmm. you don't see that too much. So it was very innovative. And Chesterton loved it. And he wrote very highly of it and of his friend. So, love that. So now we're getting into the golden age of detective fiction, which was... Between the two wars, the interwar period. So before World War One, there is so much optimism. There's advancements in science and industry and politics. There was so much hope and energy and momentum for the future. Like we're gonna build this utopia, right? And then World War One happens. And the shock and horror that came from that, the despair, the the disaffected next generation and the bright young things and the flappers in America. Just all the nihilism and and spiritualism and mediums and and all the drugs and increased sexual promiscuity that came out of this. This is where the golden age of detective fiction flourished. And I find that very interesting. I'm going to read you P.D. James' definition for detective fiction, That she used to use all the time in her talks, but she said it it really just basically describes the golden age. (laughs) What we can expect is a central mysterious crime, usually murder, a closed circle of suspects, each with motive, means, and opportunity for the crime, a detective, either amateur or professional, who comes in like an avenging deity to solve it. And by the end of the book, a solution, which the reader should be able to arrive at by logical deduction from clues inserted in the novel with deceptive cunning, but essential fairness. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. So this became wildly popular in the interwar time.
2: And so this is Agatha Christie, Uh Dorothy Sayers, Mm -hmm. Josephine Tay, you know, that. Yes. That group. Agatha Christie's the best known. Yes. And probably the most enduring. Um, but that's what we're talking about.
0: Exactly. And there was so much detective fiction written. This was the popular fiction of this time. And everybody was jumping in on the bandwagon. You had doctors. You had economists. You had politicians. James says, many writers who made a reputation for detective fiction already had successful careers in other fields. Because these were so prolific and a lot of authors were just churning them out, um, it could get pretty formulaic and, you know, is a little bit hit or miss as to how literary there would be, how good of a book it would be. But I like what she says here. But what I find fascinating is the extraordinary variety of books and writers which the so-called formula has been able to accommodate, and how many authors have found the constraints and conventions of the detective story liberating rather than inhibiting of their creative imagination. Hmm. So you're going to get some duds, that's for sure, and probably more duds than than enduring ones, but just in general... Laws and boundaries is where creativity flourishes. So, one major characteristic of the British golden age detective fiction is that they worked within and with the law. The law, the police force might be bumbling, they might be ridiculous, they might be inept, but they were never, ever corrupt.
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah. Now, I think it's very interesting to contrast this with what was going on in America at the same time. Time. So if you think about the American psyche, just from the very beginning, we started because of a corrupt government, right? That's our whole thing. So it's our whole <laughs> thing. we're all about that.
1: <laughs> and so we're less likely to trust government, also. Like it's it's genetically in us, culturally in us to not trust government. That's why I was thinking interesting about like, oh, but they always trust the police. They were never corrupt. And I'm pro-police, I mean,
0: <laughs> but I but even I'm like, really? Yeah, We just have this ingrained acknowledgement the institutions of law and justice are flawed and sometimes need to be overthrown. And we really believe that help needs to come outside of the law sometimes when it is corrupt or not big enough to defeat evil. So take, for example, at the same time, the private eyes, the hard-boiled detective, Sam Spade, the film noir stories, or the us west the lone mm-hmm. outsider cowboy rides into town they need help the widow needs help she can't do this on her own the sheriff is corrupt or lazy or isn't there
2: yeah
1: yeah or is a coward the sheriff's a coward is always a
0: thing in a western too right it's it's all about there is disorder <laughs> and it ha- the order has to come from somewhere and I think it's, it's interesting comparing these guys. They're gritty. Like, the PI is down in the, sh- the mean streets with the criminals and uses the same tactics, right? And knows all the same people.
1: And the idea that he's a good detective because he's not necessarily a good person all the time. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. You know, there's a price to be paid internally. And for the, the lone cowboy, he's got guilt— You know, for the things he's had to do to help people or his past, things that he's done.
2: Yeah, it's a little bit more of a, um, like the tortured, well-meaning rebel. Yeah,
0: that's the uh,
1: Longmire novels, and I haven't read those, Uh, but I know about them. They're a sheriff in Montana, Absaroka County, Montana, and he's got all this past. But he's good. But he's there's something, and you're learning like the mystery of the book, but then the long term mystery of what's so. What's his deal? Okay, that fits that perfectly. That's interesting.
0: Um, and this is about the same time that uh, comic books uh, came. Uh, the first comic books started coming out, and you've got these vigilantes we call superheroes, and they have a price that they have to pay too. You know the the price of anonymity and staying away from their loved ones because they can't endanger them. If they knew who you, that I loved you, he would come after you, you know? And fast forward to today, we still have all of this in our media. Of course, we're kind of at the end of it, but the big superhero boom the last few years. Now we've got dad TV becoming a thing. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. Oh yeah, the thriller, spy, military... Um, fiction. A lot of it's coming from the authors that write these, the popular fiction authors that write like that, Jack Carr and other guys like that, where these guys have experience, maybe say in the military. So they've been inside the system, but they have to leave the system or they are forced out of it because the system's corrupt. We've got Jack Ryan and Reacher and Jason Bourne, all these guys. Yeah. Yeah. And they also carry baggage. Like, they have a price to be paid. So, and this is very different than the Golden Age British detectives. They don't have all of this internal noise. In fact, the detectives are a huge draw. They are such great characters. And you just fall in love with these characters. Sherlock Holmes, Father Brown, Lord Peter Whimsey, Miss Marple. You love these characters, and they're wonderful. So just like the superhero movies of today kind of reflect the undercurrent of thought, like the cultural zeitgeist, like there's these great big, there's great big evil and we need someone that's more powerful to come in and fix this, right? So detective fiction of that time played the same role, I think. It countered that interwar vibe of the nihilism and Everything is so disordered and we're also disillusioned. Well, in comes detective fiction saying there is order. This is an ordered moral universe.
2: Yeah, and someone can come in and figure it out and bring justice to the situation.
0: Exactly, exactly.
2: It's always a search for justice. Exactly. No no one in a detective fiction says, it doesn't matter if we figure this out. (laughs) Right. They're like, we're going to.
0: (laughs) Right, right. The world is knowable and we can figure it out. And we can put things back to rights through justice for those who deserve it and mercy for those that deserve that. You know, there's a lot of Poirot novels where, like, the bad guy gets what they deserve, but also there might be another character that got caught up in things, but they were good. And so they get a second chance kind of thing. Yeah. So, a question, and what we just talked about the moral universe will bleed over into this question, but. How can there be cozy mysteries? You know, why is detective fiction light reading when it's about murder? (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: that's making me think, and I haven't read a lot of these, and you know that's been my whole joke is what is a cozy mystery? But maybe a cozy mystery is one that you know the hero will come, justice will be served, and order will reestablish itself. And I get to be lost for a minute, but I know it's just a minute.
0: Yeah, I think you, you nailed it.
2: And I also think it's because of the formula. Mm -hmm. Like we are so familiar with the formula of it that when the tone of the book is a little lighter or a little bit more comic, even if there's a murder and there's acknowledgement that like, this is, this is a bad thing. Like this is a terrible thing. Um, First of all, usually the detective is one step removed from the situation, so, so it's not the
1: loss of a very close person, then, right? Exactly, which would make it more emotional,
2: right? So Poirot goes in to solve a murder, and he's often dealing with the grieving widow or the distraught children, or you know. So you're seeing the pain that it caused, but it's not the pain of the person. Mood. Their mission yeah. is to figure it out so that they can bring justice to the situation. So. Mm. That's not always the case, but I think with cozy mysteries it probably usually is that the person who's telling the story was not personally affected by the tragedy. So it gives you some distance, which is the same distance as readers we have because oftentimes when the murder happens pretty quickly, you're not that attached to mm. the person yet to the character. A lot of times you didn't know the victim at all. Yeah. If it's a police procedural, you know they're walking up to the crime. You didn't know this person at all. Okay, someone's dead. Someone's been shot. We're going to start investigating what happened. And unless you sit and like really think about, let me sink into all of my feelings about the fact that a human being right. is dead <laughs> on the street. Why did this happen? Like, yeah, you have no connection to this person as a as a story. You have no reason to care, and so you don't you don't care that much except in the abstract, except in your abstract of justice of well, this is terrible. Someone's been murdered. We got to figure this out.
0: Hmm. Exactly. You know, we like to ask when we do these genre episodes, is there truth, goodness, and beauty in the genre? And the acknowledgement that murder exists, that there is evil in the world, is necessary. You know, that's true. What's also true is that even though disorder exists, order also exists. And this disorder that is always encroaching in our, onto our ordered society our lives, I mean, our bathrooms, you know, (laughs) the entropy of stuff and filth, whether it's germs or moral, (laughs) you know, it's the fact that that's acknowledged is comforting, you know, that there is this constant battle to keep things in order.
2: Yeah. Then a detective fiction story is the underlying meaning of it is always that even when things go wrong, they can be set right.
0: And they allow us to visit things that scare us
2: Mm.
0: without having to experience it and get on the other side of it. You know, we've talked about that with fantasy and and other things like that. And great children's literature allows children to do the same thing. And this reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. It's Neil Diamond's paraphrase of a Chesterton quote, but this is the quote that's out there and more known than his actual quote. So that's why I keep using it. But he says, fairy tales are more than true. Not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. So he's mm. talking about fairy tales. So I think this is a way detective fiction is kind of like a fairy tale for adults. I mean, fairy tales are for all ages, but yeah, I think there's a connection there. Yeah, I get that. And the setting is, is usually an idyllic, sometimes it's in a city, but it's usually in an English country village, <laughs> you know? It's very idyllic, very Eden-like. And then comes the fall and you want to put it back to write again. Yeah. So that takes me to another question I have. Why an English country village? We have mentioned before a book that I highly recommend to you. Your Guide to Not Getting Murdered in a Quaint English Village by Maureen Johnson.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's hilarious.
0: It was recommended in our group, and I didn't know about it before that. I read it. Oh, it's so So fantastic. So why a country English village? Well, the genre began in England, for one. And then I love finding when authors comment on other authors and other Mm. genres. So here's Mm. another one. Henry James, he was writing about the innovation of the Moonstone. Because at the time, you know, you've got Mrs. Radcliffe that Jane Austen references in the very gothic trend that was so popular for a long time, I believe. But the Moonstone's influence is what he's talking about here. So Mr. Collins is going to be Wilkie Collins, the author. To Mr. Collins belongs the credit of having introduced into fiction those most mysterious of mysteries, the mysteries which are at our own doors. This innovation was fatal to the authority of Mrs. Radcliffe and her everlasting castle in the Apennines. What are the Apennines to us, or we to the Apennines? Instead, the terrors of Udolpho were treated to the terrors of the cheerful country house and the busy London lodgings. Yeah,
2: so it's an acknowledgement that this evil, this disorder, is not just in a far-off, mysterious place. It's here. It's here. It's, like it's right here where we live. So you have Sherlock Holmes that takes place in London. You have mysteries that you're solving there. But then you also have a lot of these stories that take place where a lot of England lived, which is out in the villages.
0: hmm And Petey James says herself, the single body on the drawing room floor can be more horrific than a dozen bullet-ridden bodies down Raymond Chandler's main streets, precisely because it is indeed shockingly out of place. Agree, yeah. (laughs) And this gets to the importance of setting in detective fiction. Setting, a lot of times, is almost a character in these stories. Well,
2: and that's that's evolved today into what is known as domestic noir.
0: Oh, yeah. Which
2: is the dark, like the evil that's happening in your neighbor next door you know the um I don't know if any of you watched Big Little Lies or read the book when it came out like that's the kind of stuff about like it looks like the idyllic suburban neighborhood but then a murder happens or you find out there's this someone's getting tortured in the basement oh my goodness of a you know yeah something down the street like that's that's our modern version, people that like to like ooh, it could be happening right here in my neighborhood. I don't personally like those. <laughs> <laughs> I would prefer not to think about that, but that's your genre if you want to picture you know crime and evil happening <laughs> in your in your neighborhood,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's become uh like let's zoom in on all the dysfunction and the horrific behaviors of humans and And that's all. Like, that's the point of the book. (laughs) Um, More about the setting, the poet W.H. Auden, who loved reading detective fiction, he wrote in an essay, uh, by the way, there's several essays we've mentioned in this episode, which is another Mm -hmm. square. Um, He has a well-known essay, The Guilty Vicarage. The Guilty Vicarage. And he says, in the detective story, as in its mirror image, the quest for the grail maps which are the ritual of space, and timetables, the ritual of time, are desirable. Nature should reflect its human inhabitants, i.e. it should be the great good place. For the more Eden-like it is, the greater the contradiction of the murder. The corpse must shock, not only because it is a corpse, but also because even for a corpse, it is shockingly out of place. (sighs) And she quotes John Bunyan, "'Then I saw that there was a way to hell, even from the gate of heaven.'" Mm. So again, the idea that in my setting that I have, it's cozy, it's protected, there can still be horrible things that happen. And we all know that. That's a fear we have as yeah. as a human race. Yeah. So again, back to that Chesterton quote, "'We know there are dragons, we just want to see them being defeated, and that is very comforting.'" One other point about the village and the the setting is that of the closed society and how that is really important in detective fiction. And P.D. James says there must be a limited number of suspects, right? It can't just be wide open. The suspects must be fleshed out characters to some extent. And there has to be a believable trajectory Or or this is what a close society provides. You've got people who work with one another and who live with one another. And that provides the opportunity for someone to have the believable trajectory of one who has kindled unchecked animosity with someone they know that eventually explodes into violence. So that's why one setting is often chosen. One manor home, one village, one apartment in London Yeah. Because you need a close society. So the recipe
1: for this genre is very specific. And anytime you have like a specific parameters, it's so interesting because you follow it too closely. It's trite and boring, predictable. You follow it not closely enough. It's not even, that's not it. We didn't like it. And so I can see why you have this same subject, but one side of the spectrum is cozy and the other spectrum is almost horror. I mean.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. So we've talked about how the moral universe is clear in detective fiction. That's why it's cozy. That's where the truth, good, and beautiful lie in it. I was listening to, I don't remember, I'll put it in the show notes, <laughs> um, a YouTube video. And they were talking about the virtues of the detective become the virtues of the reader. Hmm. And I thought that to be very interesting. And it's not, you know, a really deep or difficult concept. But yeah. it's that the detective practices attentiveness. To a great detail. And that's a virtue. He or she is very attentive to things. You know, could that be the murder weapon? Could that have been used in that way? Could that... They're very attentive to the surroundings and to people.
2: Yeah. Psychology, relationship. Yeah. What really drives people getting underneath the illusions to what's the, yeah, really real. Facade. Yeah. hmm
0: Also, they are question askers. <laughs> you know and that i think is virtue they have to be curious
2: oh, so yeah. they have to be curious cu- yeah. curious open minded you can't be a closed-minded detective because Mm-mm. you'd never you miss you'd it. never figure it out yeah and as we've said before they're seeking justice like they never say well this doesn't matter
0: yeah and the third thing was they also suffer from the human condition
2: yeah they're not perfect they're yeah. not paragons they're not superheroes yeah they're they're people
0: the combination of humility and imagination, mm. I think, are crucial to a great detective <laughs> because of this. And I, I really think the best example of this is Father Brown. Okay, he is a little priest. He's a, a little man, and he is—oh, he's just awesome. This is G.K. Chesterton's detective. And he really cares about the soul of the criminals— that he finds. Mm. And I, I think it's the second story in The Innocence of Father Brown, but don't hold me to it. But at the end of the book, while they're waiting for the police to arrive, he's walking around in the backyard with, with the criminal and talking to him about the deep things of life. Mm. <laughs> I just love it. And there's another time, and I'm sorry, I don't remember which story this was. At the end of the story, a fellow detective asks him, how did you solve all these crimes? And he thinks about it and he says, I have committed all these crimes. Mm, He says, uh, Yeah. He says, I am made from the same stock, suffered from the same fall. I am tempted by the same vices and sins and can enter into the thought world and the hate world that motivated this crime.
1: Mm, Mm. That's really good. I love that.
0: Something there for all of us. Yeah. (laughs) So, my last question about detective fiction is. Another question we like to ask of all of these genres is how does this help us see, how does this take us out of ourselves so we can turn around and look back on ourselves and humanity and understand the human condition better? In sci-fi, we've talked about that. You can go to another planet and look back on Earth. You know, fantasy, you go to another world. Historical fiction, you go to another time. So detective fiction, I don't think it is quite as obvious, but I think we've been saying it the whole time. I think like what Father Brown, the quote, which that was not an exact quote, what he was just saying, I think you go inside yourself deeply and you can come back out and with more humility and attentiveness, look at other people. Mm. Yeah. So that's my theory on it right now.
2: It's beautiful.
1: I like it. A lot of value there.
2: Yeah. So listeners, friends... Amanda has brought us this fascinating portrait. Like you essentially just got like the history and meaning of the detective novel in 40 minutes. Like, I think that's pretty great. Pretty good. (laughs) So we are going to end this episode here. And then next week we are going to talk about the detective novels that we recommend. Different series, different books, all the way from the cozy to the more intense And we are going to give you some great things for your TBR and some great things to knock off your detective fiction square in your book fair challenge. But for this episode, go to our Facebook group. And I would like to know how much do you like detective fiction? How much has it been a part of what you have read? Do you like detective fiction books? Do you like detective stories in other mediums like TV and movies? And did this information and this perspective today change your attitude or perspective about detective stories? And until next time, I'm Trisha. I'm Amanda. I'm Elizabeth. And happy detective reading. We are so glad you are here with us today. We can't wait to continue this conversation in the Facebook group. If you're not a member of our online community, look us up at BookFair Podcast or connect with us on Instagram at BookFair Podcast. We'd also love for you to visit our website, bookfairpodcast.com.
0: If this episode has meant something to you, the very best way to help us is to leave a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It is so helpful. We look forward to
1: more stories and shared ideas with you. So next time you've got dishes to do or a
0: cup of tea to drink, we're here for you in the next episode. We'll see you next Tuesday.